sound is to the ear. It's just another sense experience and an amazing one at that. And thoughts, just like all other sense experiences, come arise, not only, I talked about it mostly with sensations, but thoughts, feelings, all of the different sense experiences, what comes with each moment's thought or feeling or sensation comes a little valence, a little feeling tone. Some thoughts are pleasant, some are unpleasant, some are neutral, neither pleasant or unpleasant. And if we're able to notice the pleasant thoughts, they don't have to build a whole monument to fantasy. If we can notice the unpleasant ones, we don't have to build a shrine to our, to our uh, unworthiness. We can simply see, oh, that's, un that's a thought of, of judgment or comparing or whatever it is. So by making that shift from being lost in thought to noticing it, it's maybe the most liberating shift that we make as meditators. And then in that process, we learn what the nature of thoughts are. We learn that they're just another sense experience. We ideally learn to allow them to, to cultivate and use, and use the, the really helpful ones and abandon the ones that are not so useful. To hear the ones that are wise, to, hear the, to recognize the ones that are ignorant, but to see them all, the commonality of all of them is that they come and they go. One of the helpful places where the tool of mental labeling is, uh, uh, is applied is in working with thoughts. So when you notice a thought arise in your mind in the course of your practice, you can simply ping it, not in order for it to go away, but just as an open-handed acknowledgement of what's happening. So notice thinking, thinking. In the course of noticing your thinking, you will notice what your top tunes are. And you can begin to, to if you like, to label what, what the class of thought that's arising. So in my case, uh, in my practice, it was uh, wanting, a lot of wanting. Wanting, mind, wanting. And then another one was planning. Many of us are big planners. So I just note planning, planning, planning. And the key is not to get caught up in the, in the content of our thoughts, but more in the process. What happens to thoughts when they're noticed? Where are the 65,000 that you had already today? And the interesting thing about when you look for them, you can't find them. So how we can build a life around thoughts when they don't even exist, when they're these little apparitions? They, they have no roots, no home. They, they, they're like footprints of a bird in emptiness, as it's talked about in one tradition. Yet, when they go unnoticed, they, our body forms around them, and, they, and we get all contracted. So it is a helpful process, part of our meditation, to get to know the thinking mind. And whether or not you catch them as they're about to emerge in your mind, whether it's in the middle of a thought or after a thought is long gone, it doesn't matter. Because in, in any case, you, see, you will see, by being mindful at whatever point, you will see that thoughts are discontinuous. We often think our, our thoughts are just one running waterfall. <coughs> but in fact, right now even, after the last thought has ceased and before the next one comes, isn't there not a kind of vividness, a kind of presence, a kind of space? So we see... There's lots of space. There's a lot more space in our mind. And then we can actually relax into that a little bit. Don't have to be thinking all the time. And that, exactly. Our, in fact, our nervous system gets a big rest in those moments when our, when our mind is a little more empty.
you relate to what I'm saying or no? Any yeah. questions? Okay, so let's um, find your posture and let's sit. As one of my teachers once said, his name was Anagarika Munindra, he said, a thought of your mother is not your mother. And the same is true about yourself. Well, once again, we settle into our immediate felt sense of presence, aware presence. And we let go of the idea, thought of meditator, and we simply let ourselves be aware and be aware of being aware. Just that simple, aware presence. And quite naturally, it will be filled with the sense of your sitting body. Quite natural that the sensations of breathing will call your attention, and once they do, connect with your breath and sustain through the duration of the in-breath and the out-breath. Just receiving the breath with a, as though it's happening in a sky-like, impartial openness. If you feel warm, just feel that warmth. Feel the sensations of moisture, heat. Nothing to do about it. Just simply feel heat. See if it's possible to feel warm without reactivity. Sounds come, simply be aware of hearing. Other sensations, moods, states of the heart or mind. And finally, if thoughts become stronger than the breath, move to the foreground of awareness and the breath recedes to the background. Simply acknowledge the thinking mind thinking. Not simply noticing the thoughts, but noticing what happens to the thoughts when they're noticed. Do they continue? Do they stay static or do they vanish? When the thoughts have passed, in that openness, connect again with your body and breath. If you're able to note the kind of thought that's arising, feel free to just meet the thought with that soft acknowledgement, planning, planning, remembering, judging, rehearsing, comparing, evaluating, reminiscing. 
If you have to think about what kind of thought has been noticed, no matter, simply acknowledge thinking mind, see what happens to them, and when they vanished, connect again with your body breath. As much as possible, let the thoughts appear and disappear like clouds passing through an empty sky, because truly they have no more reality than this. In the meantime, settle back into the body and breath. No need to look for these other experiences. When they become stronger than the breath, then we bow to them as the truth of this moment. In the meantime, just this breath, just this moment.
Notice if you're trying to make something happen. Whether there's greed in your mind, grasping. Notice whether there's resistance, aversion, or boredom. Sense how that is. Don't need to undo it. Notice whether you're making a story, conclusion about your practice. Notice whether your mind is cloudy or clear. As much as possible, remain open and receptive like the sky, welcoming, kind, bringing loving attention to the breath, body, moods, thoughts, sounds, just this moment.
Just let yourself cook, marinate in silence, in the temperature, in immediacy. Plug into life, to reality.
Just a few minutes of uh, comments or questions about working with thoughts and images. I didn't elaborate on the image part. If you see inner images, you can simply notice seeing. We don't get involved in the content, mostly what happens to the images. There, we have all kinds of images from time to time. So any comment or question before we begin to wind down? Please. My comment is just that somehow... Um, Could you take the mic? Oh. Thanks. Somehow the last, this last time and the time before, I seem to be having more thoughts than when I started. <laughs> seem to be having more thoughts. That sometimes happens that way. And, oh, and in fact, at this time of the day, and unfortunately, our our um, body gets a little bit weaker. We tend to get a little bit, just biorhythm, we tend to get a little bit lower energy and that tends to be a time where we have a lot more discursive thoughts. When our bodies are more awake, there's more mental strength, we tend to have, there tend to be a little bit less, less discursive thought. So please don't be discouraged by that, just notice how it's different from time to time. And the good news is we don't try to make that any different, we just notice and, th and that's good insight. But I have a feeling you were a little discouraged by that. Yes? No? <laughs> or I, I, maybe I should oh, put it this way, that you, th you saw it a little bit oh. as a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So that's natural. And, yeah, I but ideally, we just, we, yeah. we, I just wanted to normalize that experience as something that is really personal. everyone has. Yeah. yeah. It's not personal. Anyone else? No thoughts? No, please. I have a question about imagery because you mentioned that. This is new for me in my practice, which is... A question about imagery. About imagery. Um, oh. I have, a quest okay, I have a question about imagery because I find myself searching for imagery. Not images that come up that I want to let go of or pictures of the past or fantasizing or something, but I find when there's an absence of imagery that my mind gets very restless trying to imagine something to focus on. And, and we talk a lot or I hear a lot about what to do with thoughts that arise or words that arise or sensations physical that arise, but not about this visual cortex. So I have this this grasping visual cortex so in my there's, head. There's the visual vortex, then there's the cortex, grasping. You know, yeah, cortex, it's like grasping I mean, uh, for something to vortex. look at. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, something but, to look but at. you're describing the visual field, but you're <laughs> describing also grasping, looking for it. Looking now for that's something. The, that's the state of mind. We want to pay attention to the grasping. The, the images are not as important in, in what you're describing as the grasping, as the looking for. Okay. So we want that looking for is basically telling a story. It says, I can't find relief until I get an image to... And that's the trick that our mind plays that, that makes us keep looking somewhere else. Instead, we just... What you're actually looking for is that state that's happening. Oh, this is the mind that's looking. So if you, if you were to just say, this is what my mind was doing, I'd say, great. Okay. Great. Mind is searching for an image. Wow, it, and what's that like? How does that feel? Is that pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it suffering? Or is it, or is it just what my mind's doing at that time? So that's really, you know, having said that, we do tend to be dependent on certain thing, experiences, and it's just our conditioning. And what the practice is 
hopefully helping us do is to be able to be present whether there's an image or there's no image. Whether there's something to hold on to or nothing to hold on to. Where we are, where the, the refuge that we're, the ret- refuge that we're taking is just in being aware. And that may, and sometimes there's just not much going on. And what's that like? In fact, sometimes if we can just sink into that, where there just isn't any image to, that if we can really just hover right there, you have really found everything you're looking for, which is peace. And it's really sometimes just the fact that we're looking elsewhere or looking for something else that, that prevents us from seeing what's right, always here. But one of the doorways, one of the ways that we discover that is by noticing, I love that you notice that your mind is doing that. That's great. Does that, is, I, I have a feeling it may not be a satisfying answer. No, 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 I think that's good. Because mm-hmm. it's like this grasping for something. Yeah. Sometimes I thought if I could just have something to focus on, I would settle a little more. And then I, yeah. So noticing that. Yeah, noticing that, but just to in in your um, just to validate your experience in a way, at first it is useful in our practice to have an anchor. That's why we offer the breath. If I were to just say just sit there and be aware, most of us would just space out all day. So at first we what we use for that something to pay attention to is not an image, but the felt experience of our body and the felt experience of our breath. And so it's pretty, it's pretty non-conceptual. And that's one of the way, that's partly why it helps to uh, settle our mind a little bit. So you, if all else fails, come back to your body. Really. Please in the back. Why that translation into insight and um, how that manifests itself in this Thank practice. Thank you. How does insight manifest in this practice? Um, I think this is probably a good time to, uh, to just give some kind of core teachings, and I'll try to do it in the five-minute version. <laughs> but insight, the word insight is the translation, the loose translation of the word uh, vipassana. Vipassana more accurately translates as um, is the asana of asana of insight the the abiding abiding in insight into things the way they are so it's just another way of seeing clearly when we see clearly there are certain insights that arise and the for most people the first ones that arise are little psychological insights about your life about what your mind is doing and and they're very personal and we have all kinds of insights. And a lot of people, even in the course of a day, you'll realize something about yourself. Anybody, did anybody find anything about themselves today? Yeah. You did not find anything about yourself. You did, okay. So anything that you learned about yourself is a kind of insight. But as you go along in practice, there is, uh, there is the possibility of, of developing what the Buddha called wise understanding or right understanding. And that is for you not to adopt a view about this, but to see for yourself, to have insight, direct insight knowledge into the nature of reality. And so 
one of the thing, one of the little lists of insights that I alluded to in the course of the day is are the common characteristics that you would begin to notice in everything that comes through your mind, everything that happens to you, everything in the macrocosmic, everything in the microcosm. There are three common characteristics to everything. And this becomes clearer and clearer the more you practice. And you probably were having insights into this as the day went on, but it may not have registered in your mind, now I'm having insight into this. But once you hear these teachings, then you, you may start to, it, that's why the teachings help us to pay attention. It's not in the sense that they, they help us create something that wasn't there already. They help us to look in a way that, that helps us see so that it really has an impact on our experience, so that it liberates us from confusion. So those three characteristics that I alluded to all day were the characteristic of, of impermanence and change. Any experience, if it happens through our senses, has the nature to arise, change, and pass away. And that doesn't sound very interesting just on the face of it, but it has huge implications for how we should relate to our life, how we should relate to our near and dear ones, how we should relate to our work, how we should relate to the various identities, how we should relate to praise when we're praised, how we should relate to blame when we're blamed, how we should relate to gain, how we should relate to loss. If we know that everything that arises passes away, we don't want to hold too tightly to praise and be too, too freaked out when we're blamed. We don't want to hold to, we don't want to, we don't want to assume that a painful experience will be permanent when we know that it's, that it's change, that it will change. So by understanding moment to moment, over and over, that everything that comes goes, and you really see it in real time, you see the breath, you see the sensation, you're seeing that, you see in meditation practice that everything is in a constant state of flux. When you realize this directly over and over, it loosens the tendency to hold on so tightly to things that change. So this is why often the metaphor is used in practice is let go. Let go of the tight fist of grasping and to live in harmony with change. There's a chant that's done every day in monasteries, and I often do it on the Tuesday night group, but it goes like this. I'll do the Pali so you can hear that this is something that's been done for 2,600 years. And, and this is really a central insight, but something that you can contemplate every day in your life. It goes like this. Anicca vada sankara upadua yadamino upakitua niruchanti desang upasamo sukho. And that just means all things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. It's what brings the relief to our heart, is when we're, instead of holding on tightly when things change, we, we allow things to change. So the more, so you want to pay it, that's a kind of insight when you see impermanence. The second characteristic I spoke about was if you hold on. What did I say? What was the metaphor I used? Rope burn. If you hold on to that which changes, you will suffer. You, will, you, will, uh, you need to recognize that the common characteristic that every experience, because it changes, it is unreliable, it is unsatisfactory as a source, of, a reliable source of happiness. So that means any 
if you're praised, if you're the greatest success in the world, careful. If you are born, all eight worldly winds will blow through your life. Praise, blame, gain, loss, fame, shame, pleasure, pain. Did I use that already? Whatever. And if you, if you get caught up in any one of those, you suffer. But that's so a lot of our day-to-day -day practice is learning how to accommodate those winds that blow through our life and, and not cling anywhere. And then the last one that I alluded to, the last characteristic that I alluded to in relationship to thoughts was that, that all experience, every experience that arises in our senses moment to moment arises without any self. It, it, it selflessly arises. Sounds arise and are known. Thoughts arise. Sensations are coming and going all by themselves. Moods are arising. They don't say, you don't feel happy because you decided to. Sometimes you can, there can be a volition to be happy and you can be happy, but most of the time, if we sit here, you'll see that the moods are coming. They're not, they're selfless. They are, they're egoless. They just come and they go. They're like weather. And so, we, so as we see the way things come unbidden, we don't take them as personally. So that's the other characteristic, is every experience is marked by selflessness. And so the more we know this, the less we, we build a whole monument to an experience as me, as mine. I don't know if, intellectually, this doesn't, it doesn't make that much sense at first, but the more you pay attention, the more you just let things come and go. So those are, the, those are three basic insights that you can see moment to moment in your practice. But those are also universal insights. And finally, the Buddha suggested, because this is what happened to him, is when he sat down and he was determined to find something reliable as I started the day, he surveyed his life. And one of the insights he had before he actually sat down was, he saw an old person, a sick person, a dead person, and a renunciate. And he said, uh-oh, you know, the sick, old, age, and death, this is going to happen to me too. That was an insight. That was a universal insight into the fact that, from the, uh, that the very definition of birth is a leading cause of death. <laughs> and even though, the most, as the Bhagavad Gita states, the most wondrous thing in this world is that, that all seven billion of us will be replaced within a hundred years. Somehow we don't think it will happen to us. <laughs> but he had that kind of insight, and that insight became uh, what's called a mind-turning reflection. It turned his mind towards seeing things the way they are. So that's a kind of insight. And then what he saw in his practice, by looking somewhere inward, because he knew that when he saw the renunciation, he says, okay, it's not an out, this is an inside job. It's about finding that richness within. But he didn't exactly know how to do it, and there's, all that was being taught was to enter into great states of concentration. But he saw that even those, even rarefied states, were unreliable, because even though they, were, they lasted longer, eventually they'd pass away too. So that wasn't really freedom either. And so he paid attention. And then the more he paid attention, the more he saw everything arises, passes away. If you don't cling to it, you live in harmony with it, you feel better. You feel this kind of joy of non-reactivity, this joy of equanimity. And it's all happening by itself. None of it is me. None of it is mine. This 
I can't not be defined by any experience that comes into my life. I'm not stuck being this or being that. These are changing experiences. These are momentary. And the more he relaxed that tight fist of grasping and let life happen, in a flash of insight, he realized that, that one, he was, he was starting to taste a, a well-being that didn't depend on what was going on through his mind or didn't depend on what was happening in his life. That even in the midst of, of winter, as I started today, the Camus, in the, even in the midst of winter, there, felt there was some substratum, something in him that was not touched by it. And as he, as he, became, as he felt more a quality of equanimity, he saw that, oh, this is a, this is a, this is un, a taste of unconditional happiness. And this is something that um, I don't have to wait for. This is something I can, it really depends on how I meet the experience that I'm having right now. But as he, as that quality of balance and non-reactiveness got stronger, his mind opened. There was something in him that opened up. And he had this profound insight that the, the very nature of his mind the, mind, the very mind through which each of us perceives moment to moment, is already free. It's unstuck. It's never been affected by anything that visited. It, it's, always, it's followed us nearer than near, through our highs, through our lows, good days, bad days, praise, blame, all of it. And that there is in us a capacity to meet it all and remain open. So that we don't have to wait for everything to be just right. That, we, that that's the very nature of our mind. So that's a kind of insight. So he started his teaching after that by saying, you know, if you're born, you're going to have troubles. That's just what comes with the territory. What makes those troubles turn into more mental suffering is resisting the things that are unpleasant, trying to hold on to the things that are pleasant, grasping. And the good news is there's, a, there's, a, there's an end to that. You can be free of that tendency of mind. You don't have to be bound up in endlessly waiting for that future that never arrives. You can be free. This is the, so the first one is there's troubles. Everybody has troubles. I know I'm getting to the end, but I might as well read this. Once a farmer went to the, tell the Buddha about his problems, told the Buddha about his troubles farming, how either droughts or monsoons made his work difficult. He told the Buddha about his wife, how even though he loved her, there were certain things about her he wanted to change. Likewise with his children, yes, he loved them, but they weren't turning out quite the way he wanted. When he was finished, he asked how the Buddha could help him with his troubles. The Buddha said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. What do you mean, said, railed the farmer, you're supposed to be a great teacher. The Buddha replied, sir, it's like this, all human beings have 83 problems. It's a fact of life. Sure, a few problems go away every now and then, but soon enough, others will arise. So we'll always have 83 problems. <laughs> the farmer responded indignantly, then what's the good of all your teaching? The Buddha replied, my teaching can't help with the 83 problems, but it can help with the 84th problem. <laughs> what's that, asked the farmer. The 84th problem is that we don't think we should have any problems. <laughs> so with insight knowledge of the 83 problems, we, we, develop, we, we are, become free of the 84th problem. So there's an end to, there's a cessation of the suffering mind, of the reactive mind. 
And there is a path called the Noble Eightfold Path, the Fourth Noble Truth, which is there is a path that each of us creates with the fabric of our own life of how to meet our life moment to moment with loving kindness, mindful attention, so that moment by moment we slowly erase the causes of suffering, allow ourselves to abide in, in uh, awareness of things just the way they are and experience a deepening sense of our heart releasing its tight fist of grasping and uh, feeling more free in this very life. Not, uh, and that's the promise of awakening. And that comes with a whole sequence of insights having to do with the three characteristics, having to do with the uh, opening. His recommendation is if, if there's difficulties in life, this has to be welcomed and experienced. We can't be running from it. And that's an insight when you can say, yeah, I've opened to, I see, this is how it is. And there's a, there's a prescription for how to deal with the second truth, which is that grasping mind. He, the Buddha suggested this must be abandoned or relinquished, let go. And the third one, uh, there's an end to it. He said this must be realized. That's a deep insight into there is a cessation, there is an end to the grasping mind, to the mental suffering that we mostly just accept as, as inevitable. Remember, this, the, the pain is inevitable. The difficulties are inevitable. 83 problems are inevitable. The 84th problem is optional. And then there is a path. And his prescription for the path, this must be cultivated. So in order to cultivate it, this is a segue into saying sit every day. But don't relegate your meditation just to the cushion, just to the chair. Be mindful. Let it follow you around nearer than your breath all day long. Know what you're doing when you're doing it. Know when you're eating. Know when you're going to the bathroom. Know when you're washing. Know when you're walking. Know when you're talking. Stay in your body. And try to cultivate, along with mindfulness, a quality of loving-kindness so that your awareness has a quality of love, caring. It will naturally flow anyway. The more present you are, the more you'll fall in love with everyone. But in the meantime, we sometimes have to, to remind ourselves to, to practice kindness. Mostly with ourselves, we tend to be really hard on ourselves. And, uh, and then with others. And when you've seen today, if you see, the more you see how you are the the, um, at the effect of your conditioning so much as you sat here, you'll see that other people that do terrible things, they're also at the effect of their conditioning. And so even, the, even people who are really difficult in our life, we can let our heart crack a little bit and feel mercy and compassion. First for ourselves, then for others, or first for others, then ourselves, doesn't matter. But uh, the whole of our practice is the widening of our circle of affection, and the capacity to be in this world and not be in such misery all the time. Um, so that, that's a gradual awakening and gradual insight. So I leave you with one of my favorite poems from the poet Haf Hafez, who I've quoted already today. 
And this is my impression of you and also a recommendation. It's all embodied in this poem. And it's called Cast All Your Votes for Dancing. I know that the voice of depression still calls to you. And I know those habits that can ruin your life still send their invitations. But you are with the friend now, and I'll just translate a little bit. The friend is the capacity to be aware. Your own present attention. You're with the friend now, and you look so much stronger. You can stay that way and even bloom. Keep squeezing drops of the sun, the light of attention, from your prayers and work and music and from your companions' beautiful laughter. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from the sacred hands and glance of your beloved, and I'm calling the beloved here your own wakefulness, and my dear, from the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. <laughs> you are with the friend now. Learn what actions of yours bring delight, what actions of yours bring freedom and love. Whenever you speak of the divine, of life, of reality, my ears wish my head was missing so they could finally kiss each other and applaud all your nourishing wisdom. Oh, keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers and work and music and from your companions' beautiful laughter and from the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. Now, sweet one, be wise. Cast all your votes for dancing. So thank you so much for your practice. I would just like to invite you as we end this day, as we do every day, every practice period here as I do, is to consider, one, your own efforts and sincerity and your willingness to stay with the day in spite of the heat and the increasing fatigue. And our bodies aren't used to being this in one place for this long. So give yourself much appreciation and shower yourself with loving kindness. And try it for a moment. Won't hurt you. And then finally, uh, shower that same wish that you have for yourself to continue to be happy and peaceful and safe and protected and healthy, strong, all those things you want for yourself. Wish everyone here the same thing. And then finally, wish everyone everywhere the same thing, because we all want the same thing. And finally, we consider that if there's been any, this is a traditional sharing of what's called the sharing of merit, the sharing of blessings. And we consider, because we, the quieter we are, the more we recognize that we are so connected to each other. If we knew how connected we were, we wouldn't cause as much harm as we do. But when we taste that a little bit, we remember that our practice isn't just for ourselves. And we consider that if there's been any benefit to our being together, any goodness that's come from it, any, 
any fruits, any merit, any benefits at all, that we give it away freely. And we dedicate our practice to the welfare and benefit all, of all. And we send the blessings of our practice with a deep, deep wish, the same wish that we have for ourselves, that all beings can have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness increasing every day. And we deeply wish and share the blessings of our practice with a, uh, with a, a wish that all beings can have less suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing every day. And a deep wish that all beings can recognize that sacred happiness that is free of sorrow here and now, in the simple moments, and not miss this vital point, that there is only this present reality. And then last but not least, a deep wish that, that all beings, including ourselves, can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with, with less reactivity. And that's it. May all beings be liberated. Good job. Sadhu, 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 we say at the end, which means excellent, excellent, excellent. Well done. And thank you for your generosity as well. Allows me to keep doing it and the wheel to keep rolling. Thank you. If you, any of you would like to sit with me again, come to the August day long here. But also, I have a, a community that's been going now for 28 years in the city, Mission Dharma. Every Tuesday night, we have a little Dharma feast. I mean, we sit, <laughs> we, um, we have a little talk, conversation, and every Tuesday in the mission. But go to missiondharma.org or the Spirit Rock website, and you can find that information. And it all, all, the, audio, all the talks are uh, streaming that are able to listen. There are also videos of the evening talk, so uh, it's another resource. But come back and sit retreats here, day-longs, residential retreats, but sit every day and find people to sit with. Sit with a group, sit with a group, sit with a group. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.